Beginning in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, Paul is addressing various groups within the congregation, older men and younger men and older women, younger women, widows. Last week we looked at elders, and he concludes this uh, section of various groups by looking at slaves in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Living under authority is the title of our message today. 1 Timothy 6, reading verses 1 and 2. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of, of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your spirit, and we pray that you would take them now and apply them to our lives today as we think of serving those in authority over us, whether it be in the home or in the state or on the job, within the congregation. Father, help us to give honor with all respect, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Slavery was a very common problem in the first century. I read that it was estimated that there were 50 to 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. As many as one-third of the population of large cities such as Rome or Corinth or Ephesus where Timothy ministered were slaves. And so you can see why Paul addresses this issue within the congregation because there were slaves, no doubt, within each congregation that he addresses. But the kind of slavery that took place in the first century is, is probably a little bit different than we might think. R. Kent Hughes says that by the time of the Christian era and the writing of First and Second Timothy, sweeping changes had been introduced that radically improved the treatment of slaves. Slaves under first century Roman law could generally count on eventually being set free. A very few ever reached old age as slaves. A slave owners were releasing slaves at such a rate that Augustus Caesar introduced legal restrictions to curb the trend. Despite this, inscriptions indicate that almost 50% of slaves were freed by the age of 30. He goes on to say that while the slave remained his master's possession, he could own property. And a slave completely controlled his own property and could invest and save to purchase his freedom. Slaves were regularly accorded the social status of their owners. From outward appearance, it was usually impossible to distinguish a slave from a free person. A slave could be a custodian, a merchant, a CEO, even a government official. And he says that many slaves lived separate from their owners. Finally, selling oneself into slavery was commonly used as a means of gaining Roman citizenship and gaining entrance into society. 
In spite of these things that made slavery a little bit more tolerable, it was still an evil that needed to be eradicated. And this is why some have accused the Apostle Paul of not being strong enough against the evils of slavery. But there are several reasons for the way that he addressed slavery. One is because the positive reforms that were now in effect, things were moving in the right direction. Another reason is because an assault on slavery would have wrongly labeled Christianity as subversive. And the third reason is because the gospel of Jesus Christ had the power to change lives. And as that gospel was being spread, this whole issue of slavery would eventually be eradicated. And so Paul addressed the issue of slavery then in his various epistles by really challenging both slaves and masters, Christian slaves and Christian masters, to realize that their relationship with Jesus is what would make the difference in their lives. Paul addresses, first of all, in the first verse, honoring an unbelieving master for the sake of the gospel. Notice verse 1, he says, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Paul is very clear that the life of a slave in the Roman Empire was not an easy life. He pictures slaves as being under the yoke. And that's a phrase that probably reminds us of of how animals were yoked together. And yet Paul tells Christian slaves that as difficult as it might be, they were still to honor their masters. In fact, he says that slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, he says. Through their actions and through their attitudes, they were to give to their masters proper respect. Now, you can probably imagine some of these Christian slaves saying, I don't need to obey my master. I have a new master. Jesus is my master, and I'm going to obey him. I don't have to be so concerned about this master of mine now. And sad to say, that is how some Christians today look at those in authority over them. Uh, Philip Towner tells of his experience after becoming a new believer while serving in the military in England. He says there were several of us who had just set out on the Christian adventure. In our enthusiasm to serve Christ, we somehow concluded that we didn't need to concern ourselves with mundane rules about shined boots and clean and pressed uniforms. He concludes by saying our superiors quickly made the connection between our new faith and our sloppy appearance. And in that small corner of the world, Christianity was in danger of being linked with insubordination. Brian Chappelle tells about a time when when he had an employer tell him that he had become very skeptical about Christians because of his experience with two seminary students. So seminary students, listen up. He said they seemed to be always standing around talking about God during the hours of work. 
And he said, but what really did it was when the boss observed one of them go into the bathroom for 20 minutes, came out of the bathroom and whispered to his fellow seminary student, I just had a wonderful time. He said, I read three chapters in the Gospel of John. <laughs> and Brian Chappelle says, three chapters of John in the John on the boss's time pleases neither God nor man. So maybe something like this was going on in Ephesus where Timothy ministered. Christian slaves were not properly honoring their unbelieving masters. And it's interesting that Paul does not say anything about honoring masters who are worthy of honor. Honor isn't something that they had to earn. In fact, Christians, even treated poorly by their masters, were still to give them honor. We, we read from 1 Peter chapter 2. Did you catch verse 18 of that text? He says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. I think the translation that Phil read this morning, even to those who are harsh. And so even if on the job we are not treated in a way that, that it is kind, we still need to give honor to our master. And Paul tells us why. At the end of verse 1, he says, So that the name of our God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. In other words, for the sake of the gospel, we are to honor those who are in authority over us. We don't want those looking at Christians and saying, they don't respect their boss. They don't honor the, 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 their master. They don't live in a way that, that is, is pleasing to God. And that, that is a poor testimony when we as Christian employees are not honoring those in authority over us. Richard Lenski says, if a Christian slave dishonored his master in any way, the worst consequence would not be the beating he would receive, but the curses he would cause his master to hurl at his God. The worst thing would not be the discipline received. The worst thing would be our testimony. What does it do for the name of God? What does it do for the gospel if we as servants are not living in submission to our masters? Paul puts it in Titus chapter 2 in a, in a positive light. He says this to slaves. Titus 2.9, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Interesting picture, isn't it? Adorning the doctrine. It's the Greek word cosmeo from which we get our English word cosmetics. And so think of it, the way that we live on the job, the way that we respect our master, our boss, that is adorning the doctrine. It is making the gospel more appealing to the world because they see the difference that it can make in our lives. And I would challenge you on the job that, that you would, would live in such a way that, that you don't hinder the gospel. But rather that as you, you respect those in authority over you, that they would want to know what it is that makes you different from the way 
that the world lives. And so honor your unbelieving master for the sake of the gospel. Verse 2, he talks about honoring your believing master for the sake of his blessing. It says those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. I find it interesting that Paul would would need to tell Christian slaves to honor their Christian masters. But evidently that was of concern, so he addresses this. And and some Christian slaves may have felt that their Christian masters should give them special privileges. After all, they were part of the family of God. They were brothers in Christ. And they may have been bothered that they were on the same level in the life of the congregation, brothers in Christ. But then when it went to the job, here was the master and here was the servant. Can you imagine how that would work? So as you gather together and worship as a congregation, you are arm in arm, brothers in Christ. And then on the job, you're the slave. He's the master. And so you can see where that would create issues within the congregation. And maybe some of these Christian slaves were saying, well, isn't the ground level at the foot of the cross? Aren't we brothers in Christ? Why should I have to do what you tell me to? Why should I be a slave and you be a master? What's wrong with this picture? So you can see how that would be, could be an issue. And yet, what does Paul say? He says to Christian slaves that they shouldn't think of serving their master less because he's a believer, but more. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must must serve them all the more, all the more, because they are brethren. You know, when you read by yourself, nobody hears it, but when I read in front of you and make a mistake, then you all laugh. So what's the point? Just because you have a Christian for a boss, that shouldn't give you special privilege. So you say, well, I don't have to work hard. My my boss is a Christian. You should serve him all the more. Now, one reason clearly is for the sake of the gospel, just like it was in in verse 1. Can you imagine what a witness that would be to the world if you are a Christian and you work for a Christian boss and you two can't get along on the job? Not a good testimony, would it be that? But he also says... That Christian slaves ought to serve their Christian masters more is to bless their masters. Paul says they must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit of their service are believers and beloved. I had several part-time jobs when I was in high school and college, but there's one time I worked for a, a Christian carpenter. And I probably wasn't the most talented worker he had ever had working for him. But I wanted to do my best because I wanted to be a blessing to him. I wanted his business to be successful. And so I wanted to come with a a good attitude and, and be willing to work hard. There's something about working for a Christian. You want them to be blessed, don't you? And that's what Paul is saying to these Servants, If you have a Christian master, 
You want to work hard for Him. You want to respect Him. Because He will partake of the benefits of your labor. After all, He is your brother and He is beloved. One of the closest advisors to President Franklin Roosevelt was a man by the name of Harry Hopkins. And one day a visitor came to the White House and asked President Roosevelt, why do you keep that frail, sickly man, Harry Hopkins, at your elbow? They just couldn't understand it. And pointing to the door, Roosevelt said, through that door, every day, flows all kinds of people asking something from me. Mr. President, could you do this? Mr. President, could you do that? We have this need in our state. We have this need in our city. Could you do this and could you do that? And then he says, Harry Hopkins only wants to serve me. He says, that's why he is so near to me. There's something about a servant, isn't there? And shouldn't that be our desire on the job that... That we're not there just, you know, for our own benefit. We are there to serve. Why? Because that's what God has provided for us and we are there to serve Him as we serve the boss that He has placed over us. As Jesus came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So do you view your job as an opportunity to serve? Or is it just an, uh, a necessary evil to pay the bills? Huh? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Huh? If that's the only reason we work, then we're missing the blessing because that is God's opportunity for us to serve. To serve the one in authority over us and to serve Jesus. <laughs> to give of ourselves for the sake of others. A few years before Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he wrote a letter to the Ephesian congregation. And in chapter 5, he challenges them to be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he gives several results of how that will be seen in our lives. They're present participles for you seminary Greek scholars. ING words, results of that, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, singing and making melody, giving thanks. And then the last participle is being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So that submissive spirit is part of the spirit-filled life. And then he goes on to illustrate how that will be seen in various relationships. Wives... Be subject to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. And then slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. So what is Paul saying there? He's saying there that the spirit-filled life is going to be seen in those ways. And one of those ways is this attitude of submission. Honoring those who are in authority above you. And I'll be honest with you, we need the power of the Spirit to do that, don't we? Because our natural tendency with authority is to want to rebel. Whether it's the state 
Whether it's the home, whether it's the church, there is that in our sinful nature that wants to be the boss, that wants to have our way. And when someone in authority over us tells us something we don't want to do, what does the old nature say? Why should I do that for you? I don't really want to do that. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to be filled and, and, and controlled by the Spirit of God so that when we are in those situations where it might be challenging, God, by His Spirit, gives us the power and the strength that we need. My prayer every day is, Lord, cleanse me from my sin. And Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. Cleanse me from my sins so that I am in a right relationship with you, God. And then fill me with your Spirit. Empower me to live the Christian life today. Give me what I need as I face the challenges, the temptations that come my way. Help me to live under the authority, O God, that you have placed me under. And so to slaves, Paul says, honor your Unbelieving master, for the sake of the gospel, honor your believing master for the sake of his blessing. Not in your own fleshly power, but in the power of God's Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand what it means to live under authority, whether it be in the home whether it be with government, whether it be on the job. Lord, you have ordained that we live under authority. And as employees, I pray, Lord, that we would honor by our attitudes and by our actions those that you have placed above us. And give us, God, the strength to live in such a way that your name And your word would be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.